Welcome back everyone to another episode of Table Topped. Now for the last few episodes, we've been talking about how to carefully plan out and create settings for your campaigns, but we haven't really touched upon improv in campaigns at all. So today I had my friend Mac come over and talk to me about it. We're both trained improv comedians and actors, but we really delve into how to foster a very fun and improvisational environment in your campaigns. I think this episode was really valuable and just so much fun to record, and I hope you enjoy it as well. All right, well, welcome, Mac. Uh, this is uh, Tabletopped, uh, the TTRPG podcast where we talk about storytelling and stuff. Um, and I'm really excited to have you on because unlike most of the DMs that have been on so far, you and I have like a very similar background as actors and improvisers. And I think that like informs greatly our, our ability to be in and run campaigns. And I just want to talk to you about improv as a storytelling technique. So thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to to talk about this you know I'm, I'm finally making my my podcast debut um <laughs> even though um i'm the theater person and my girlfriend isn't and uh she's already been on one so take well, that listen 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 <laughs> well i do want to say though that as a community people usually think of 5e as like the gold standard or dungeons and dragons as like the main mm -hmm. one but right. both of us make our homes at least as gms outside of that system so can you tell me a little bit about that yeah sure so i mean because we we both we talked about this a little bit but we both run the powered by the apocalypse games um because you've run I was I always want to call it Amnesty, even though that's the, that's the Adventure Zone season about yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, it's Monster of the Monster Week. Monster of the yes. Week, right, 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 right. Yeah, so you're running Monster of the Week, and I've run City of Mist for over a year now. Yeah, um, with just a, a group of three people. Um, yeah, and I I started DMing with D and D Five E. That's where I first started playing tabletop role playing games, and I kind of got I, I mean i still love dnd &D 5e like yeah. don't get me wrong it's it's a very, <laughs> it's very good fun. game <laughs> it's pretty fun um it's a really really good system um but i got a little disenchanted with it just because it was really it's really hard to get new people into it yeah yeah um sure. so it's also just like very rules heavy so like if you're yeah. trying to get someone to explain it like dnd &D beyond and stuff is a really great like way to usher new people in without a lot of legwork but when compared to a lot of other systems it's just like how much math do i have to do <laughs> I, I like seriously seriously well and then also talking about like improvisation right yeah, like yeah. i mean the more rules that there are and the more that my players give a shit yeah. about said rules <laughs> the less i can make stuff up <laughs> yeah well and, and this is the first thing that i always find when it comes to a rules heavy system and i know that some people would argue that dnd isn't a rules heavy system but i sort of think it is in I my mean, <laughs> there are numbers over 20 yeah so exactly. like that's i don't know sometimes it's hard for me to do math 23 plus 11 what that yeah, exactly I don't know. and also like the way that like spells are made it's like all of them are written within an inch of their life so that they're very specific yes and they and, need to be because yeah, of the system right if they exactly. weren't people would just be breaking the game all the time because that's what dnd 5e players like to do sometimes yeah yeah, so and that's that's the thing is that whenever I ran a D&D &D game, I was always like, yeah, you can basically let me know what you want to do and I will tell you what you can roll to do that. It's yeah. like I'm super anti like not letting characters do what they want to do. Oh yeah, just let them do what they want to do. I mean, if they want to try, I mean, 
you know, they can try anything. And that 20 isn't always going to get you there, yeah, but it's exactly. going to get you damn close. It's yeah. going to get you a treat. You know, yeah. it's going to give you a, a piece of candy. It's not going to kill the big bad evil guy, but it is going to give you like... You got a magic thing that's good for beating the big bad evil guy in like 16 <laughs> sessions when this campaign is going to end. Exactly. And also like depending on what they're trying to do, usually they're just trying to have a moment where something really interesting happens. And like a lot of times that I like there was a time where I was playing and one character was like, OK, I want to like use my thorn whips or whatever mm-hmm. to like wrap around the mast of a ship and like swing across this like from one ship to another. And I was just like. Yo, that's like super cool. <laughs> and like, why why are we talking in this moment about whether a thorn whip can reach that far when it's already just like a magical whatever? It's just like, let them do it. <laughs> right, no, exactly, exactly. I think that like the only thing that scares me yeah. about something like that, not not that I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all, but yeah. the thing that scares me about things like that sometimes is the precedent, mm. right? And you have to be really careful. And actually, it really is a lot of responsibility of the player, right? Mm -hmm. Because the players have the responsibility to, I can tell you, player, you can do the fun thing. Yeah. But this also comes with an understanding, player, (laughs) that if you try and break my game by using this logic against me later, I'm not going to let you do the fun thing again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like there are, it's a give and take where it's like, okay, listen, I I also am a huge fan of your character and I want you to have this moment. But if you fucking try to rules lawyer me, I am going to destroy you. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Exactly. If if you're like, well, you let me thorn whip from the mast of the ship to swing to the other place. So I can't, I thorn whip and pull down this platform that has all of these like (laughs) dilettantes at a party on it it's yeah. like well they're different things yeah. bud and they did they're they're different checks uh and they, you know and it's just like and and i think because dnd 5e does have such specific rules yeah. it sometimes can attract very specific people yeah yeah right? like a wargaming type wargaming types yeah. exactly and there's a place for that yeah i mean like, don't get me wrong i love me some miniatures games yeah <laughs> i do but there's a time and place. Yeah, I've always found it really hard to balance the um, role-playing slash storytelling aspect of D&D with the actual mechanics of it. Because, yeah. like, I think both you and I as actors and people who have done a lot of, like, different aspects of storytelling yeah. are, like, super aware of pace and tempo of a, a thing. And just, like, the way that combat works it's slow it's slow and it really makes really slow and it makes the storytelling like really hard to maintain when you're like all right this person like says this thing to you and begins to like evaporate and like a horde of orcs or whatever come down Mm -hmm. upon you and then it's like okay for the next two hours we're going to decide what individual moves each you each of you are going to do or whatever which is why i have always gravitated towards other systems are much more like, all right, a horde of people are coming at you. What are you going to do? Like roll one of your things or whatever, but we can progress this like really fast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and this, that's why theater of the mind is like very attractive to me too. I mean, I don't really use a battle mat unless I have to. Yeah. And you know, I, so full disclosure, I have have two games going right now. Mm -hmm. The first game is a D and D five E campaign. Um, was the first one I ever DM'd and it's for all my friends who are also in my improv group. Yeah. Right. So they're all improvisers and mm-hmm. you know they, they were all learning the game for the first time so we never used a battle mat but the battle mat came out because they were like I can't hold all of these guys in my head yeah. at the same time <laughs> and once they hit around fifth level I had to throw so many guys at them to yeah. even make it any kind of challenge yeah. because you get so broken as you get 
higher up in, in 5e. Yeah, once you get past, like, level 10, really. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> the only time that I use a battle map really is, like, a physical representation of the things that we can't hold in our head. Yeah. Right? And, and it also, it does help with the question asking, right? Yeah, right. So there are there is a time and place for, for a battle map, um, but usually I, I try not to use one just because you can get a little bit more descriptive yeah. with it. And, and really, at the end of the day, it's like, man, like, I, I don't know out there, people, if you have players that really like combat, mm-hmm. but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it takes so long. It really does. Every single person's turn just takes so long, especially spellcasters. Like, yeah. And God bless them. They got to look up every spell. Yeah, exactly. They can like, describe what they want to do. the chat or whatever, and like, it's like a slow process. Right. Like, I play a rogue in uh, the main D&D campaign I've been playing for a while, and it's kind of nice because all of the things I want to do are outside of combat, and I can use my skills in those ways to really, you know know fuck with the story and like be interesting and do all that kind of stuff but in combat i'm like i stab i try to jump on the thing and that's my turn <laughs> yep. yep so it's yep. like a very fast and like... then it goes to the bard or the sorcerer and like yeah. you know the sorcerers have like a whole extra resource like yeah just, uh, man I'm, I'm gonna spend a key point to start juggling this like stun juggle this foe and like i'm gonna do this and this and this yeah for monks and all that yeah oh stuff. my god and, and god forbid someone's like multi-class like monk sorcerer yeah. or something <laughs> but and, and you know and it's like i can't blame somebody for not knowing their character that well yeah, right because it's just like it wasn't written by them it yeah. wasn't created by them and that's what i think that like powered by the apocalypse games really allow as mm. far as like improvisation and creating on the fly it gives you the ability to be like i've never done this before like yeah. I, as a player to be like i've never done this before this is not something that i've ever described that my character can right. do can i do that yeah and usually as the dm i'm like thinking to myself why not right yeah well i mean the, the those systems in particular have such a breadth of possibility in each of their like core moves mm. which is it's like because each of them are like act under pressure and that applies to any time you have to make like a snap decision or like there is a moment of stress or whatever you can roll that to try to do anything yeah anything. which is anything. you know a really great broad way to to allow a storytelling thing going on but like going back to something you said before which i thought was really important is that like one of the core rules of improv is to say yes to each other yeah. and to like agree upon stuff. And I think that goes both ways in that the DM has to say yes to what the player is interested in doing, but also that the pl- the players have to say yes to the situation that the DM is creating. Mm-hmm. So like, um, like you said, if you're at a party and you're like, I want to like, you know, rope the supports of this platform and pull down like party guests and like kill everyone or whatever, then the you as a GM can be like, yeah, do you understand what sort of situation we're kind of creating here? The atmosphere and the mood? Like, maybe you should talk to people first. Right, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, there's, man, there's something to be said. I mean, that, first of all, is just, a, it's a wacko player. Yeah, yeah it's just <laughs> like. In that situation, that, that player is like, oh boy, maybe, you know, I should I should yeah. not play we, with this person. Yeah, we should have a talk. <laughs> yeah, we should really have a talk afterwards and, like, check in. But, you know, and it's like, I do tend to build things into my games yeah. that, don't don't keep players on the rails because you know I mean that's such a negative term really keeping yeah. people on the rails, but that create a structure of a world that really exists mm-hmm. right. So it's like, you know, if the players like are gonna say like no I don't want to do this thing I'll yeah. say okay, that's fine. Like then I haven't created enough stakes for you to want to do it right right. Yeah. If if I put a plot hook in front of my players and they just don't take it at all yeah. Usually what I'll do is I'll say. 
okay, I'm going to hold on to that plot hook for later. Mm -hmm. If they don't do anything about it in a certain amount of time, something is going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) That's going to affect the world. And that's what it is, you know? And then then we move on to whatever they want to do. Yeah. You know, because the... Um, the main characters of the campaign isn't me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> the main it's it's you know it's not like at the end of the day when we're telling stories about the campaign we're really we're not really going to be telling stories about NPCs mm-hmm. we're, or or what I did as the DM we're going to be telling stories about how the player characters interacted with those things right Yeah, it, it's sort of like a, a an ego test as well that as a GM you really have to set aside the idea of like your story or whatever yeah. like I want to tell them my story at least for me because like. When I have the most fun, it's when people are excited about something and you're like, fuck yeah, yes. this is awesome. Yes. And then you just get to contribute to the thing that they are super interested in. Yes. And that makes it fun for everyone. Like there was a a, st- a really stupid thing that happened in my Monster of the Week game at one point where they were trying to like get this sword fixed to get ready for like the next big thing. And it was during like sort of a downtime episode and they decided to go to this like swordsmith in a town over, which I had not planned for because they weren't ever really supposed to leave the town and they go on this road trip. And then they realize that, Oh, we don't have like $8,000 to, <laughs> to fix this sword, to have someone forge a new silver sword. And then they were like, okay, well I bet this blockbuster or this, no, what was it? It was a Best Buy. I bet this Best Buy has like enough money. And so then they were like, let's try to rob this Best Buy. Again, something I had never accounted for. But then I was like, yeah, okay, you guys go in. And then they started realizing like, oh, man, the the manager is like trying to crush a union drive within the blockbuster and just like start adding layers into it of like what I was, you know, adding to the situation that made it fun for me and just like made it fun to see how they were going to react within the situation. And I feel like that is the best of both worlds of like, yeah, I get to have my ideas in there and you guys sort to, are running the show and that's to me when the best stuff well, happens. Yes, I know I, and I think that that's that's really poignant, right? That the players should be running the show. Yeah. Right? The players absolutely should be running the show and that doesn't mean that they get to do whatever they want because the <laughs> players should be invested in the story too. Yeah. And if you're not invested in the story, what are you doing? Yeah, you have <laughs> why, to care. Why are you here? Why yeah, are you yeah, here yeah. if you don't care? Yeah. You know, um, you should at least care about your character at the very <laughs> least. Just from a place of self-preservation. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I, I think that what you're getting at here, too, is that it's like our job, right, mm-hmm. is just to create stakes. Yeah. Right. It's just to create stakes in like high, um, high intensity moments. You know, like one of the highest stakes moments in my City of Mist game mm-hmm. was one of the players roommates. Yeah started dating her this is like set in the 90s in like a seattle like city right one of the players roommates started dating the guy that she had a crush on Uh and she was too nice to say anything about it (laughs) and so i had given her the plot hook that she was gonna go on a date with this guy Mm -hmm. and i had intended it just to be as like a man like like kind of planting strife between people you know like trying to get her to maybe like 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 feel something like create create an emotional (laughs) situation and instead what happened was she started she she um tracked her she like stealth behind (laughs) her and like just awkwardly like wanted to watch the date (laughs) and then to get the other players involved they get they got it they went on the date to the coffee shop where one of the players worked yeah and then the other player thought that the the, the person following their roommate was in trouble. Yeah. So they followed her to make sure that she wasn't in trouble. So now we have a whole session about basically someone 
stalking their roommate <laughs> to watch them go on a date with the guy that they have a crush on. Yeah. It's <laughs> sort of like a rom-com. It's a rom-com. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. But that's what the players wanted that session. Yeah. They didn't want to engage with like the big bad evil guy that I had set up. Yeah. They didn't want to do a big fight. They, they What they wanted for that session and I think what they needed in their lives as people yeah. right, was just a fun session where like they just dig themselves into holes. Yeah. And that's fun, right? Because now that she's dug herself into that hole mm-hmm. oh my god that is such a fun muddy hole to play in for me yeah exactly. you know i can go in there anytime that i want and pull out anything that i need to from that <laughs> i'm like a pig wallowing in filth <laughs> like literally <laughs> literally i let the players create the filth and then yeah. i wallow in it yeah <laughs> i mean urban shadow actually like another system i really like uh actually builds this into how you're supposed to run situations where at the beginning of each new arc or whatever you look at as a group decide who is trusted the least amongst all the players and then you see say based to their character what rumors have you been hearing around town and that's what starts the new arc right cool. yeah so it's, it's like allows immediately and like I think that some systems are really smart about doing this about creating those stakes and the, the attachment that you were talking about about you as a player being like yeah I've heard this thing and obviously that's something you're interested in and so already at least one of the players is like wants to see this through right yeah absolutely and I mean and that should work in any system yeah it should work in any system it's like you know I, I love you. I love you, Lord DMs. I love you so much. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like your lore doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. If your players never want to engage with it and mm-hmm. don't care. Yeah. Right. It's like the lore of the world really should come from what the players want to do. And, y- and your job is the DM to make them feel safe enough. Mm-hmm. And like there's enough structure that they can create within that structure. Right. What's the that's a, what's the saying about like um, limitations, breed yeah, creativity. Right. It's something like that. Yeah, it's something better than that. It's something way, way better than that. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I totally get what you're saying too, because like going back to the thing you said earlier about the sort of like that insane sort of murderous action that a uh, that yeah. potential player could do. Like maybe what the players really want to do is have like this kind of crazy short-lived campaign of them sort of on the run like Bonnie and Clyde sort of thing and if that's really what they want to do then you can be like yeah you can do this but you're gonna be chased for the rest of your life by like the guard or whatever yeah Yeah. and you can have that campaign it's just gonna be you know you should probably make it clear to them like hey if you do this you're going to have to live with these consequences for the rest of the time that we play this and game. And so will the other players. Yeah. So you better hope that they're into it too. Yeah, exactly. And if we've all agreed, you know, if yeah. you have all agreed that like we are going to do a murder hobo campaign. Yeah. It's going to last six sessions. <laughs> we're just going to get it out of our systems. Yeah. And then we're going to go like do something else. That's fine. But, you know, then also like murder hobo campaigns can turn into real stories if yeah. people care enough. Well, well, that's the thing is that like a lot of times um, what actually gives people real, I think, catharsis within these games, like the, like the things that I really love to see. And like at the end of one of my campaigns, like people felt it they felt the the story arc that these characters had gone on and like one had started out as like a super selfish erratic sort of like young sorcerer who became like aware of the effect her powers could have on other people and by the end even though like some of her memories had gone and she didn't quite remember some of the like crazy things that she had experienced she had become sort of like a community-minded person who is trying to do the best for those around her and that's like a huge moment of character growth and like to leave it on that of like wow this this person has gone from someone who's just like desperately trying to find an identity and a purpose to like someone who is just 
honestly trying to do the best that she can for her community and the people around her. Like that was meaningful. And so I think that if, like you said, they want to do like a murder, like they start out being like super selfish, murderous, rampage people, then there's like, there is the possibility in there of redemption. Like a redemption arc is really interesting. And a lot of, I don't know. I just like, I'm not super into the anti-hero trope anymore. No. Um, And so like allowing people to start as like, yeah, I'm like this like grizzled whatever who just like hates life. And then at the end maybe finds purpose and meaning like that is more meaningful to me than just like hey we're on the run and like what a crazy adventure we had <laughs> no of course yeah and it's also like I'm, I'm curious about where where did that choice come from like yeah what like what seeds did you plant to get her there um or what what or what seeds did like you plant to get them there what seeds did they kind of yeah. follow to get them there yeah you know like can you speak to that a little bit like well yeah so honestly it just came from me just being like very clear there like when stuff happened and when roles went bad there were consequences and the consequences didn't feel good (laughs) and so like just like when you actually do something bad in life and get caught or whatever that has like some effect on you and it changes you a little bit so like like she started out super erratic like stealing and like using powers to get what she wanted but then slowly throughout the the game as you know she had to like put stuff on the line to like help the people that she liked and then relationships developed, then it didn't feel fun anymore to risk people's like NPCs or other player characters safety and well-being for like this weird little thing that she wanted or a joke or whatever it is. And like when things went bad, I would, I wouldn't punish the player, but I would punish the character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Well, I mean, that's that's how life works sometimes, right? Yeah. It's so it's so interesting hearing about this because I, I have a player character that's similar, yeah, but opposite, right? Really? Because her her whole thing, right, is that she's like th- this is the same one that was stalking her roommate, but she's like the nicest person yeah. in the world is basically like like the character prompt, right? Yeah. <laughs> the nicest person in the world, so self sacrificing to mm-hmm. the point of like self-harm in a certain way right and that's her major flaw right her major flaw is that she's willing to sacrifice anything yeah for her friends which is not a sustainable way to live yeah it's not a good way to live (laughs) so then my my job now is the is the as the um as the dm is not to punish her for doing good things but to make it clear that the repercussions of her always taking everything on to herself are not going to play out in the way that maybe she wants them to. Yeah, and when I when I hear that, a good way to think, like, that I kind of think about that sometimes is, like, what is the inverse of this character? Mm. And, like, it kind of sounds like what that person, if, if they are staying on that road, then it kind of seems like what you might want to offer as, like, prompts or whatever is, like, hey, maybe your character, like, deep down kind of feel stifled by this because that limits your choices well, and she a built huge it, amount <laughs> she built it into herself anyone yeah. that's not familiar with city of mist um every player character has like um a thing living inside of them that is like they're called rifts the player characters and they're basically aspects of like a legend or a pop culture it could be anything yeah. really but hers is the siren right yeah. and so it's like the nicest person in the world mm-hmm. is also an incredibly powerful telepath 
and has this thing living in her head that is constantly telling her to hurt people. Yeah. Right? And to, like, do whatever she wants. Yeah. You know? And so it's, like, her... And she has a relationship with it that's actually a very healthy one. Yeah. (laughs) But it's, like, she built that into her own character, right? The ability to go into a little bit more selfish place, which actually... Guess what, people? Sometimes it's good to be selfish. <laughs> Sometimes you need to. Sometimes you need to to survive. Yeah, but know? also, like, what what that says to me is that that dichotomy between it is somebody who is, like, so scared of their own agency that they are completely, like, giving it up to, like, the societal, like, right. niceness of doing the yes. sac- self-sacrificial yes. thing. Yeah, that feels like it could have... Because really, at the end of the campaign, what you want is for people to feel like they've become more human or they've become more of like a fully fledged grown up person. Grown. grown. Yeah. Yeah, Growth. I mean, right. And that's hard to find. It's really hard to find. And especially for a character who is kind of the ideal person. Yeah. You know, like what you think of when you think of like, you know, it's like like the character's name is Lana and it's like everyone that ever meets her like becomes her friend yeah. like everyone loves her yeah but at the same time everyone also ex- now expects her yeah to be the one to sacrifice herself and that's an interesting thing for your other characters to play with too of am i this person's friend because i like who they are or because i consistently get something out of them you know what yeah. i mean like there she's sort of like providing a service yeah and like maybe not even players but npcs and all that kind of stuff like you can and this is going back to the other thing is like being a fan of your characters it's like yeah, that's like super cool and I love what you're investigating here. Let me help you investigate it by continuously putting shit to test this like weird relationship you have with the world. Yeah. And like throughout, you know, and some and maybe like it becomes a cautionary tale of she's not able to make the change and something bad happens. <laughs> you yeah. know, and that kind of stuff is also depending on your players can be really satisfying for them too. Well, and also, I mean, yeah, and she's she's definitely grown the most and like this, I mean, God, like this, you know, big shout out to this this player who who plays Lana because she mo a lot of my hooks yeah. come from her. Yeah, because my in the players in this game, like they very early on, pretty much decided like we are in the driver's seat. Yeah, which is exactly what I want. Yeah. You know, like I, what I want is for the players to like. This is going back to the improv thing, right? Like I want the players to give me. Uh, like like a prompt, yeah, right, like an audience <laughs> suggestion, yeah. You know, I want that to come from the players, and mm-hmm. then I want to play with them about what they think is cool, right? So we had this whole storyline where it became clear that people were basically getting like there was a community only for people with abilities under the city, yeah. And when people lost their powers, they got kicked out yeah. of the community. Um, because there's a mechanic in the game where you can lose your powers and forget everything yeah, about right. your magical life. And she said, as a just as a player, like, wow, there must be like a lot of homeless people in the city, <laughs> yeah, right? Right, that like used to live here. If yeah. they don't remember anything, like they don't have a place to go. Yeah. Like, where would they end up? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, fucked up. <laughs> there must be. Yeah, what a great plot hook that I didn't even think of. Yeah, because a lot of the times your players are going to give you something that's like perfect. But you just hadn't thought of it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And they they love to, I mean, great players too, they love to guess about mysteries and things. Mm-hmm. And um, Oh my God, I never write solutions to mysteries. <laughs> no, never, never, never. This is something we have in common and we've yeah. actually talked about before, but I think it's worth talking about here, right? Is that when you have a puzzle or a mystery, guess what, folks? <laughs> Don't give a don't don't make a solution. Don't yeah. don't do it because the players are going to find one and especially in D&D. Yeah. Oh my god, because it's like, yep, you tried everything. Oh, 
Okay, you finally put on the ring the after two hours. Feeling. I know yeah. that there was only one right solution and you didn't get it right, even though your your character is like a 20 in intelligence. It's yeah. like, come on. Just like say like, <laughs> how do you think it works? Yeah. You rolled, in, you rolled a 22 on your um, investigation check. What do you do? Well, I'm feeling around the walls. You press a, a, a the thing. walls yeah. and the, the one of the stones goes back. It's a secret passageway. You yeah. did it. Something, like, you did that. Yeah, something to make for every GM out there. Something that I just really want to say as a player is that it never feels good to solve a mystery uh, that only had one solution and it just takes forever. And at the end, you're like, oh, that was the answer. Okay, whatever. But if you let them feel like a genius for guessing and like it pays off in a really cool way. Then and it can still get to where you wanted it to go, like the passageway that was in the fireplace that they had to like walk through fire. There was an illusion. If they do the thing where they push the wall and it opens, it can still go to the same place. Right. <laughs> exactly. And it's like you you can what you can do is you can really reward creativity, yes. right? Because man, it feels good to have your creativity rewarded when you're like just starting out at this stuff. Like it really, really does. Like I, I had set up at one point that one of the NPCs has an ability. He's the Rift of Mario, right? <laughs> and so one of his abilities is if he ever gets lost, he just keeps going right. Yeah. And if he goes right enough, he'll get to where he wants to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is a, just a really funny. It's just very silly. It's just very, it, it literally just that. made that up on the spot one day. But yeah, the... What my players, they were stuck in basically someone's like mind palace. Yeah. Um, like in a, in basically someone's brain, like a kind of like a dream world. Mm-hmm. And one, I was like, okay, well, so what do you do? And one of them was like, I go right. Mm-hmm. And I just keep going right. Yeah. And I think about Rio, <laughs> who's, the, who's the Rift of Mario. Yeah. Um, and it's like, and I, I hadn't thought uh, that that was like a good solution, but it was a callback to something. Yeah. It, it told me, it wow, te- like it, they it tells care. you that they listened. You know, they what I listened. Mean? <laughs> they cared about that. That stuck mm-hmm. with them somehow. Yeah. And it's like now I'm now I'm like, great. Like that makes sense yeah. in this world. You know, like it happens. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. So so it's just rewarding your players for finding that stuff out on their own. And now here's the caveat to that. Right. You can't give it to them on the first try every time. Yeah. Because then it doesn't feel hard <laughs> it, well yeah it doesn't feel challenging it doesn't feel good when you succeed right if something's always really easy easy to succeed at then what's the point in succeeding yeah and this is the thing about so going back to like D and stuff i think that there's like a huge binary that is created with those roles where it's like yeah. there's a dc and if you beat the dc you do it and if you don't beat the dc you're fucked <laughs> and like yeah. i think that what's way more interesting is that maybe they roll well but it's like a really high dc or whatever and you're like yeah you're like looking around and and the portrait winks at you and you realize that like that portrait didn't look the same way when you came in and then that just gives everyone in the group a new line of inquiry you know what i mean and so like it doesn't say like no go back to to the library you came from and look through every book until you find a clue (laughs) oh my god yeah yeah Yeah. oh my and then traps yeah oh god this uh, have i told you my new system for traps no I, i can't remember if i did but okay so my new system for traps is this I'm going to spring a trap on you one time. Yeah. And then as you're going through a dungeon, right? That this this we were going through a dungeon basically in this game and I had someone roll like a perception check. They didn't roll very high. Uh, they got a trap sprung on them. Yeah. It didn't like kill them, but it did some damage and stuff. Yeah. And then I said, "Okay, but now you're aware that there are traps here." Yeah, you're looking okay? for trip So wires. as long as you're <laughs> looking for them, you're fine. Yeah. As we're going through, they'd they'd like describe what they were doing, and then I'd honestly ask them, and you have to have players that are responsive to this. But after they did something, I'd be like, "Were you looking for traps while you're doing that?" Yeah. And I have players that sometimes will be like, 
I, I don't think I was. <laughs> like, Which I honestly, I honestly great. don't think that I was. Like, because sometimes they'll do something so bold and brash that they're like, damn, I forgot about the traps. Yeah, like, and you can kind of get it from, like, how they're interacting with people before where they're like, I'm laughing and, like, we just killed the monster. And I go, uh, I say to everyone, I guess this was easier than I thought. And I open the door and you're like, were you looking for traps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if and if they, if they say I actually think that my player my my character would have been looking for the traps yeah. even if I as a player wasn't fine that's yeah. totally fine because there's a relationship here like and if we're gonna be improvisational if we're gonna make things up on the fly if we're gonna be able to be like flexible mm-hmm. then there needs to be a relationship like you were saying earlier of yes and between the players and the the DM yeah and if that relationship is always one sided where the players always get their way and the mm-hmm. DM always has to just serve them yeah that doesn't work but it also doesn't work the other way either right yeah. so it's really a conversation about like what are you know what are we responsible for here yeah you know what? Are, what is what? Are, what are we responsible for as people, as players, as DMs? And really, what we're responsible for is this relationship, right? Yeah. This relationship that we can't let fall at ever. Yeah, and this is the thing that I have never understood about some DMs when they're like, "If you fuck up, I'm gonna fucking kill your character," <laughs> which I always do. Like, I only ever like threaten to kill or like say like this could have huge consequences. <laughs> If the character is making a choice that feels like they are aware of those consequences and it's like they're still going to make the choice. Like I had a character who like there was a reality like collapsing, but somebody had to stay behind and try to like do part of the collapsing bit so that it was like made sure that it was severed from reality. No one would ever be able to go back to that reality. It was like done and it was a a really bad place to stay. And I had expected them to be like, okay, this new NPC, which was like a version of an NPC they like in their reality, you're going to have to stay behind and we're going to go. And like I was, and that's just where I thought I was going to go in my head. But one of the characters was like, I'm not going to make him stay here because he has like PTSD and he's like already fucked up and he's like trying to do his best for the world and he failed and like the world is (sighs) fucked up and so he's like I'm not gonna make him stay here I stay behind and what I'm gonna try to do is I'm gonna try to like flip the switch to like make this thing happen and then use one of my abilities which canonically has always failed like that character had never pulled it off quite right to teleport to the, the rift and go through before it closed and I was like uh okay, I just want you to know that if you don't roll good on this, that you're done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and like he and he was like, okay, um, I'm going to give it a shot. And I was like, this is the fucking best. Because- yeah. yeah. The stakes, the stakes, man. Yeah, it's yeah. all about the stakes. It's all about the stakes being so, so, so high. And in those moments, I, re- I always tell my players, it's like, I don't want to kill you. Yeah. But I will. Yeah, exactly. And they need to know... And, like, you as a DM and the players have to all have an understanding that if we don't treat this thing yeah. with a certain amount of respect, yeah. with a certain amount of reverence, right, mm-hmm. this moment of us sharing and creating the story together, mm-hmm. like, if you just do whatever you want, this is a real world and there will be real consequences. Yeah. There will be. And it's, like, you know, in those big moments where the players understand, like, yeah, if I die here... It's satisfying. It is. It's actually satisfying. It makes sense. Which is a huge thing I hate about D&D too, uh, because the thing about character death in D&D is one, it can be mitigated in a hundred ways. And then two, it's never, most of the ways people die in D&D are in combat 
and it's usually like in the middle of a combat and it doesn't really mean anything yeah like it's just like you got a bad roll a monster is like stun locked to you or whatever and you're done and and then it's just like i think that feels really bad for the character who's like if you're a really good player and you're like okay death is on the table but I want it to feel satisfying in some yeah. way. And then you just get like, you know, torn apart by a goblin because you, you just know. Just murked at like level yeah, two exactly. by a goblin that rolled and a nat 20. And then yeah. you're just like, fuck, that feels terrible. Um, and so the way that I always think about player death is like, I'm not like, I want you guys to trust me that you can make big choices and I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill you for them. Oh yeah. But you, I, I, you also have to like be respectful that like, you got to let yourself be in like a, a precarious situation sometimes. Yeah. Like when people are uh, in a dungeon and they're like, oh, that battle was tough. Long rest, everyone. Let's do a long rest. I'm like, fuck you guys. <laughs> like, that's the worst. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Yeah. I mean, I've had to create mechanics before. I'm actually doing one right now where my, my players are in like a frozen wasteland. Yeah. And basically like there are some con saving throws they need to make. But one of the downsides, if they fail hard enough, is yeah. that they can't long rest. Yeah. Like that night, yeah, you know, and it's like it's it's really really hard to create stakes for D and D characters, especially once you get up into like level ten, yeah, and that's only halfway. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm right now in a level eighteen campaign. Oh god, and it, it's like I feel so bad for the DM because every huge monster that he throws at us, it's just like okay, either it's dead in one turn, or it goes on for two hours and at the end of it, like some people are beaten up, but like other people have not even been touched and it's kind of fine. How many, um, how many players? Seven. No. Yeah. There's a lot of people in that campaign. There's like nothing that's been a real threat except this last one. He basically had to play this monster that he had created, which had like some insta kill effects. Yeah. You have to. to. And he min-maxed how he played as well. So it was not sort of like, yeah, this like crazy spider thing is running around like being a monster. It was like specifically targeting the things that could create like debuffs on it. And like then it would go after healers and stuff like that. And then it becomes like much more of a war gamey type thing. Exactly. Um, exactly. So it's like it's tough. I, I get that. But um yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, I mean, that's, I mean, they, they have to be narrative, right? Mm-hmm. They have to be narrative. And, and it's this weird line that we, that we walk as DMs, right? Where you have to have that understanding or else co- there's no point to combat, yeah. you know? Like, I, I, I always say to my players, I'm like, if this, if the combat isn't potentially lethal, yeah. there was no point in having it. Yeah. Because unless there's actually like stakes to it where something bad could happen, either it has to be lethal for the players or there has to be something big riding on it that's happening during the combat. I yeah. don't think as like a time sink a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't I don't think that the combat has been like the point yeah. of any of my combats for yeah. like months. Yeah, I think that that's really smart to attach like an objective to combat as well, because then it becomes varied. It becomes a little bit more interesting. People who like to war game can really focus on fighting a monster. Monster, but then you've diverted attention so that, like in in uh, my case, I would be going off trying to complete an objective that everyone else maybe would be focused on, just like you know, right. stalling this thing. That feels a little bit better to me because it allows all your players to do different things. Exactly, especially when you have seven players. Yeah, I mean, that's my god, a ton. <laughs> I have I have four right now, and like that's a good. It's a pretty. It's a really good number, but it's like even still, you know, like they were fighting like a white dragon or something yeah. and basically like 
how it worked was the white dragon was wearing like some sort of necklace and then like as they dealt more damage to it the necklace got a lower dc to mm-hmm. be pulled off or yeah. destroyed and the necklace was really the point of yeah. the whole thing right so they could try to do that right away yeah it was like a dc 35 yeah. they probably weren't going to do it <laughs> but they could have yeah you know and just understanding that like oh like there are ways to make this faster mm-hmm. and then another big bad that i had show up just like your your dm in your game like she showed up she cast finger of death on a um, or power word kill one of those like the insta kill something on an NPC. Yeah, be like, okay, either you take the action to revivify him or you kill me. Bye. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> like give you a choice. You yeah. know, because in D and D, it's like there's so many things that the players can do, especially with a cleric in the party, to mitigate any kind of stakes. Yeah. So you need to build that in other ways, and part of that, right, is building NPCs that the players actually care about. I have to say that that's huge. Like I play with a lot of folks that like an NPC becomes a little bit like a bargaining person where you're always trying to balance their, you know, their goals or whatever, at least have one NPC that is just like a fan of the players too. Yeah. Like you guys are fucking great. Like, I love you guys. Yeah. Like come on in and like treats them well and nice. It's just like, you know, a net good positive force in their lives because then you can use that per that NPC forever to threaten them. (laughs) Well, and, and you also like, I mean, one of the benefits of playing the city of mist game in, in, you know, our world basically in the nineties, is that people have roommates yes. and they have aunts and brothers classic superhero and friends <laughs> no literally yes they have they, they have superhero problems yeah. and then it's really easy to create stakes mm-hmm. where it's like yeah like if you don't do what this big bad person wants to do like they can't hurt you yeah but they can hurt the people that you love and they probably will yeah you know and it's like oh shit because this this <laughs> lana character right it's like all, all the time, she's like, well, I don't care what happens to me. Yeah. You know, as long as, like, my friends stay safe, I don't care what happens to me. And I'm yeah. like, I don't think it's about what's going to happen to you. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, if you're a big bad or whatever who's trying to, at any cost, get to your goal... Like you're gonna you're gonna know this stuff and yeah. you're not gonna be like, all right, I have to do this much damage to this person so that I can do whatever. Yeah, it's like I'm just gonna fucking go over here and I'm gonna put someone in the hospital so yeah. that it, they feel like they have to be there or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's a great point that like combat isn't always how you can threaten characters. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, and and I think that doing the yes and of like whatever the player characters want. As far as, like, their relationships with people in the world, build those things Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. You know, like, and be ready to throw away NPCs. Be ready to throw away NPCs and be ready to make, like, you know, well, it's the classic thing, right? It's like, ah, I am Sir Whatever Whatever. I've been sent to go on a quest with you. The player's like, fuck this guy. Yeah. And then his squire's name is, like, Schiebel McBeebleson. (laughs) And he was just there to get killed by a fucking, like, enemy in the first encounter. And they love Schiebel. Yeah. (laughs) They take Schiebel with them. He's now their squire. Yeah. You know, and you can threaten Schiebel forever. Okay, great. Schiebel is the best (laughs) character of all time now. It's just like, um... You know, I mean, there there are tons of like D and D campaigns that are in in popular media where yes. like characters like this exist, right? Yeah. Where it's like, if the players adopt an NPC, that NPC is now so important. Yeah. Like 
go where the players are interested. Go where they want to go. Yeah. And like also if if you're just like this like oh, I don't like this because it's just they laugh at this person or whatever, then be like, "Okay, this is a starting point where this character their his fucking name makes them laugh, then make them care about him because they already have a positive association and then you can do something else with him." Yeah. And like you had to slow build. Like I had a a character in, in my Monster of the Week campaign where he was just like a stupid reporter that would like run around and they would continually meet with this guy like in different mysteries and he would be kind of like part of the thing. None of them were like, yeah, we love Scooter, but they knew Scooter. And then when I wanted a tone shift of like, this is the final arc, things are like the next three mysteries or whatever are going to be really meaningful. Did you hurt Scooter? I killed Scooter. You (laughs) killed Scooter? I I just straight up like they were all at this like Christmas tree lighting and like they started to hear screams and they look over and there were these like monsters running through the crowd and one of them just like had a chance to either go to their friend or go to Scooter and they went to their friend and Scooter got ripped in half and it was like you know what this means everyone you better fucking be careful with your choices now because every single one of them are going to be lethal. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well because especially at the end of a campaign it's so nice you can really make high stakes choices and it's like there's also this whole thing of in my city of mist campaign it's a very low lethality campaign yes because of this lana character she's like nobody dies nobody dies if anyone's gonna die it's gonna be me you know (laughs) and i don't want her to die so it's it's just like that's the vibe right you have to also get the vibe of your players it's like it's a very low lethality campaign but with this this mario character i killed him yeah you know, because I knew that Mario, of course, has yeah. a mechanic where you can get extra lives. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, I threatened them, like, with, like, yeah, like, I will kill people, mm-hmm. you know, and this is how it can happen. But they they also, you know, understand that it's, like, it's not always under their control either. Yeah. Like, sometimes just bad things happen to good people. Yeah. And, like, that creates stakes in itself. And it's if it's more interesting for the story for Scooter to be dead, yeah, Scooter dies. Yeah, and, like, I also... I really have to encourage players uh, going in the spirit of improv again. If a DM makes a story choice like that, do not just spend your entire next few sessions of a campaign trying to undo a choice. It is the most boring thing a storyteller can do. (laughs) Yeah, and in D&D, that's so fucking easy. It's like, we're going to go find a shaman to cast... uh, uh, what, what, what uh, reincarnate yeah, or, or something, like that, what, whatever yeah. it is on this guy. It's like, okay. I mean, if that, you want that to be the adventure now, fine. You know, like we can do that. We yeah. can make that happen for you. But it's like, man, in, in a, in a world like monster of the week or mm-hmm. city of mist or any of these other ones where it's like, death has to be sometimes some things yeah. must be permanent yeah you know and there are actually mechanics in city of mist which i love where it's like you can fundamentally change your character mm-hmm. forever yeah like your character is like four main traits and if you make certain choices during the game you might lose one of those traits forever yeah and they might be replaced with something else you know like one of my characters like he was like a martial artist mm-hmm. and he just there's a move in the game that you can do basically like an action you can take where you stop holding back Mm -hmm. right so you let your powers take you over to do something insane so basically there was this like (laughs) boss monster that i had where i or like boss character where i was like all right like what are you gonna do and he's like oh i want to rip her in half like (laughs) like i'm i'm done and i'm like okay so you want to stop holding back And, and he was like yes i'm like all right you have two choices here you can kill her yeah or you can incapacitate her and he said, okay, I'll incapacitate her. 
He's like, great. So that was the choice that it didn't like really fuck him up, but it yeah. did replace his martial artist thing. Now was completely taken over by his bestial powers that he yeah, has because right. he's like the inner beast is his thing. Yeah. And it was taken over by that. And then his, now he got a new fighting style, which was all based around like turning into a monster, yeah. like going beast mode. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like that was a choice that he made mm -hmm. that fundamentally changed his character forever. Yeah. Right. I also think that like um, a, a GM's role is to act as like a karmic force in mm -hmm. the world mm -hmm. where uh, this player still hates me for it. Um, <laughs> but it was like a first session. We had our session zero. We had sort of a prologue and it was the first session where like something was kicking off in urban shadows and they went uh, all kind of gathered around this town square where like a big bell was ringing and they found out that one of the like faction heads of the werewolves had been just like murdered in the night which is really hard to do because werewolves are very like tough right and just like had been blown apart like his stomach just had a oh hole my God. in it kind of thing and it was just to set up the mystery and then this guy was like the guy was the the werewolf was the leader of something called the grayback protection agency which is sort of like the muscle in town that you could hire to help you with your jobs and uh the guy who is the player was like well i'm, I'm glad i didn't hire him and a werewolf, like, I was like, wow, what a, what a, like, a, a mean thing to say standing over this body. Over this dead body. With, with a bunch of people all around you. And I was just like, next to you, a werewolf just turns to you and says, what did you just say? And he was like, oh, I just said, I'm glad I didn't hire him because obviously his service, like, his services wouldn't be very effective. And then the werewolf just grabbed him and essentially threw him through a wall. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like because this is like a real person and like no, people, that people love really him. care about. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. And that's like a, if, if you were standing over the dead body of a community leader. Yeah. And you were like, "Good riddance." Yeah. <laughs> like someone would hurt you. Yeah. 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 And so I was, and like he still was like, "That was like fucked up." It was just like an offhand comment. And I was like, "Okay," but every like, but it has led to a thing where now all of the werewolves are pretty much like we don't like this guy and every time he has to like be in their presence he's sort of like I don't like you guys either and it's led to like a real dynamic in the game yes. which is interesting and so like this kind of karmic force of like hey I'm gonna hold you account for your actions also allows you to you know build a like build something rather than just yes punish. Yeah. exactly right because if, if you had just thrown him through the, through the wall and then that was never mentioned again yeah and it was just put there to like deal some damage to him yeah. or something like that would be totally different. But the fact that you follow up on it, mm -hmm. right. That it's like good things. Ha like this is one of the reasons why we have so many goddamn NPCs in my city of Mist game <laughs> is because they all, the player characters just make friends with everybody. Yeah. Like that's all they want to do, which is so, totally the opposite of like every other role-playing game I've ever played. Yeah, exactly. They just want to make friends with everybody and in the same way, right? It's a karmic force, right? Yeah. It's like you become enemies of the people that you don't like. Mm -hmm. You become friends with the people that you do. Yeah. You know, and those dynamics are, if they're carried by the players, right? And it sounds like this player, even though he's angry that it happened to him, <laughs> that's kind of part of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Because now he's angry not at you necessarily. He's angry at the all the werewolves. werewolves. Yeah. And that's a fun dynamic, and right? And the, the thing that I was able to do with it, which I'm, I'm still kind of proud of myself, is like the werewolf just didn't throw him through this bar wall window or whatever. The werewolf like climbed through after him and broke a leg off a table and was just about to cave his head in. And the guy was like, okay, okay, okay. Because he kept trying to do stuff and he kept failing with his roles. <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll help solve the murder if you just like back off. What and a like, hook. And the guy was like, all right, like you owe us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
which is like a lot of fun for me. Even and like that person is like resentful of that debt, but still has it. You know what I mean? So. Right. Yeah. Oh my god, that is so fun. That is so so fun. Uh. All right. So I think that we've kind of covered a lot of ground here. Oh so my god, yeah. To, yeah, just to like close it up. Uh, what are like some just tips, tricks, things that you really hope that either players or GMs carry with them if they're trying to get more into like an improvising campaign? What are the the main tenets that you would stand by? Yeah, the first thing that I'll say, um, so I'll start with D&D, right? Because I feel like that's its own monster. <laughs> yeah. I'll start with D&D. The first thing is um, don't worry about a goddamn pantheon because most players don't care about that. Yeah. Um, I would say worry about the gods that your players specifically choose for themselves. Yeah. And then other gods can exist too, but like mostly care about that. And that that goes for like everything, right? Care yeah. about what the players care about. And um, think of what you want the ending to be. Yes. Um, because then but, you have a structure to work towards. Exactly. Because yeah. then you have a structure to work towards, but don't decide what the outcome to that ending is. Right. Yes. So for example, my campaign right now, um, that I'm DMing, right? From the very beginning, that there's going to be a choice that either the players are going to... Um, the continent that they're on is um, is floating in the air and it's either going to fall to the planet below mm-hmm. or it's going to stay floating and yeah. they get to pick, yeah. right? Um, it's come to the point where they understand that now and they actually have picked a third option that I didn't <laughs> even think of, but it fits the framework, yeah. right? As long as it fit, fits into the general thing of like, that's how this thing is going to end. Come up with a general vibe of like mm-hmm. what the end game looks like and then let the players find their way there. Yeah. And be flexible with about how they're going to find their way there. Um, also, pacing. Mm-hmm. I think pacing is really, really important. I tend to have kind of a breakneck pace with yeah. my games. I would highly recommend that to any DM, especially in D&D, because it can be kind of slow. Um, and then, like we were saying before, just like don't plan too much. Yeah. Don't really plan too much, especially when it comes to like dungeons or traps. And, th- and then for... Jeez, and then for like role playing games in general, that that's a big one. But I would just say like, be flexible, be open with your players. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's a big one: let other players know your secrets. Mm-hmm. If you're a player, yes, don't be one of those players that's like, oh well, I have a very secretive and it will very never emotional pay off. backstory. <laughs> it will never pay off. And if all like with if all the players know about your shit, yeah. But the characters don't trust that you're going to be good players and yeah. you're not going to metagame it. But that allows the other players to poke you. Yeah. Just poke the bear a little bit. Poke and prod. You know, if like your backstory is you killed your father because he was evil and you had to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then another player off the cuff and go like, oh, my God, who would kill their father? Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, also, and also it allows the DM or GM to be like, uh, I'm going to put this thing in in here yep. that is designed for a character to feel like oh or wow or whatever and instead of that payoff being one person it is the whole table that's yes. like holy shit everybody cares everybody <laughs> yeah. cares right everyone needs to know about each other's shit yeah like right away and the payoff should be about the other characters learning about that stuff through time the the payoff also has to come from the the dm putting 
certain things in your way, like you were saying, that that really pay off. Yeah. Like, But if you know about this stuff early, then you can work it out. But it's never going to work out for you if, if you're going to be like, yeah, I have a really super secret backstory that actually really affects my character greatly. But I'm, I'm not going to tell any of you guys that because I'm like, I don't care then. Then yeah. I don't care. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's there was um, one uh, person that I played with as a, a GM and their character was sort of was a previous a character from a previous campaign. And so they were like, yeah, so I want to kind of do this. I kind of want to keep a secret from everyone. And I was like, yes, but only because everyone else at the table had been in that campaign. Got it. So they are able to like pick up on the clues as well and be like, what the fuck is this doing here? <laughs> And it allows for, like, a little bit of mystery of, like, why is there a ledger in Draconic, but it is in the 90s Lakewood? <laughs> like, why right. is that there? Um, and it allows the players to kind of be ruminating. But if you're just like, yeah, my character is actually, like, a demon god, and I'm going to consume all the other players, but, like, they can't know. It's like, <sighs> man, you got to tell them because uh, just player-wise, like, it doesn't make sense. And if like just suddenly after three years of playing with someone, they're just like, and now I'm either gone because you guys have killed me or like I am trying to kill everyone uh, all of a sudden without any sort of like, because you can keep your secret better than most people will try to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because people aren't going to try and figure it out if it seems like so opaque. Yeah. Right. If it's so opaque, then no one cares. Right. Yeah. But if it's transparent, like then you can see the little plot hooks. You can play into them. Yeah. It allows the players to say yes. Right. Yes. It allows the DM and the players to say yes to you. So don't keep it a secret. Like, and you know what? If you're at a table mm -hmm. where you have told everyone your secret backstory and session one somebody is like mentioning it in yeah. game don't play with that person yeah don't play with them and it's up to the it's up to the dm too as a facilitator of that game to i'm like putting my teacher hat on now <laughs> as a facilitator of that game to stop the game if that happens to be like just want to point out let's to everyone yeah. that like you wouldn't know about that yeah let's like redo this you know and let's let's just retcon that like like and then it's up to the player to say, oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't know about that. Yeah. Like, let's go back. Sorry about that. And just keep going as opposed to like, well, actually, my my character does know about that yeah. um, because uh, this is my secret backstory. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. And like one thing that I really like to do is say at especially to to your person who's running the table, but also to your friends, like I have a character that I that at this point, three or four years into this campaign is basically the only person left from the original group that he started adventuring Whoa. with. Everyone else had kind of traded out characters just because they wanted to play something different or whatever. But it made it kind of hard to care about anything because everyone was gone. And this person's arc, my character's arc, was all about like learning to be less self-centered and like right. actually care about the people around him. And there was one person left that was there. And like that is a, like me saying to everyone, like I don't like I don't know any of you kind of thing has allowed me to have like really cool mo moments of like me and this one like character who's like a snake man who doesn't understand like mammal like emotions or whatever I was able to like sit down with them and like Bill was able to be like yeah I just like I'm really sad because everyone's gone and then this character was like yeah you know I can kind of understand that because feeling like an outsider, like I have also been there and it led to a really great character moment. Mm. And like, it was because that other player kind of knew what my character was going through yeah. and could like read into things they could a play bit more into it as opposed yeah. to be, you know, and again, like it was that player's responsibility 
in that moment, it's isn't it so much more satisfying? We didn't even talk about this. This is a huge thing for me. <laughs> oh my god, there's so many things. This is a huge thing for me. Just about like make the interesting choice. Yes. Don't make the uninteresting choice just because that's what my character would do. Fuck off. Right. Yeah. Also, it was that player's responsibility as the snake man to in that moment say. Am I going to say, like, I don't understand human emotions. Fuck you, Bill. <laughs> or are they going to say, like, actually, in this moment, I'm growing, too. Yeah. Let's move the story forward together, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, huge. And I also think that um, that goes to combat, too, if you're playing a, a more war gamey like, 5E sort yeah. of thing. If your characters are starting to min-max how they play, like... I mean, I know that you're never supposed to punish people, but like make it not always the best thing to do. Yeah. Like make it so that if somebody does something crazy instead of doing a lightning bolt, which is like, like, like it is hypothetically the best DPS per turn. Like if they decide to, you know, do a crazy thing where they're trying to pull down a rock face and like, Mm -hmm. like create a, a barrier between them and like the goblin horde or whatever reward them for that because they are literally saying to you like I am way more interested in telling an interesting moment than killing your monster than rolling a bunch of d8s or whatever yeah so that's how I I always DM that if somebody tries to do something cool I'm like absolutely and even if you roll badly I'm not going to punish you like I'm going to progress the story in a cool way that you have set up yeah yeah so like the like if you're pulling in this is another thing that I think the powered by the apocalypse does very well is that the only time that the GM gets to narrate is when you fuck up a roll yes and it's not to be like and the monster stabs you and you die it's more like yeah the monster that was like 10 feet away is now on top of you and it rears back and its mouth opens and you see sort of like like venomous bile coming up what do you do and you give them another moment of like holy shit I made a really bad choice or like the choice did not pay out the way I wanted it to Um, and I think that that's just way more fun it's it's, it's way way more fun yeah because if like if there's an initiative I mean initiative is fine and everything (laughs) like uh, you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock initiative on your podcast Nick (laughs) but um um, no, I, I really do like that a lot better where it's just like, yeah, the players have agency until they don't. Yeah. And when they don't, it's because they made a mistake. Yeah. You know? And like, that's great. Yeah. That's and like so characters nice. are supposed to make mistakes. Don't make... Uh, here's another huge thing that my little tidbit of advice for improv at the yeah. end is never make a player feel bad. Make a character feel bad. Yes. Like if you are punishing a character for a bad role punish the character don't punish the player don't punish the make player. the character feel like that was still a fucking cool choice <laughs> yes i still did the cool thing yeah i just it just it's didn't inverse, go my yeah. way right and it's like you know and if even if you punish the character you can still give the players like what they want yeah you know you can still give the players what they want and, and in the end like that's really the way that it that you should be doing it, right? Because, you know, if a player's like, I want to stand in front of this and, like, take all the hits. Yeah. And then the monsters roll really high yeah. and hit them a bunch. They still took all the hits. Yeah, and, and you can narrate the shit out of that. Yes. <laughs> like, that is another responsibility of a GM is to be like, you stand in the way of a hundred arrows and they start like you can feel your lifeblood dripping down your like armor uh-huh. and the last thing you see as you fall backwards is like the shocked faces of your friends as they rush to try to help you but it's too late or whatever like that is how you do that sort of thing like, yes and like that character can feel like holy shit I just did an amazing thing yeah and yeah so that's my advice <laughs> right exactly yeah and even even though they like quote unquote like 
failed. Yeah. They still succeeded, right? They still yeah. did their thing. And, oh, man, yeah. Powered by the Apocalypse is so good. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Because you give like, it gives people a lot of agency about how they get fucked up, too. Yeah. Which is great. There's but, yeah. um, there's a, a character in my Urban Shadows game that is sort of like, it's a Western style, so that it's a very classic sort of like he's met a man on the crossroads and he has been given power and this person helps him out, but maybe at a cost. And like there's like some like devil vibes going oh, yeah. on. You gotta love that. And there is this thing where he like jumped out of a window and he's like, I want to use all my like this innate power that I've been sort of like talking about to just essentially like get claws and rip this guy apart. Like I want to jump down two stories on top of this person, and just rip them apart. And then he failed a role. And I was like, you jump out and you hear a whisper of the voice that you had heard before saying, you haven't paid your debts yet. And he just like did not yeah. be able to do it. And it's like, oh my God, it's like fun, you know? <laughs> and then it gives him a thing to go do, right? Yeah. Oh, I got to go pay my debts, I guess. So yeah. that next time I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super cool. Player agency is great, even in failure. Player agency and failure. Say yes. Yeah. yeah always, say yes. Say yes to your players. Make sure that your players are saying yes to you and everyone will have a good time. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Mac. This is fun. Oh, this is really <laughs> fun. I, I could I could talk for hours more. I hope to come back soon. Yeah, we'll have you on again. Uh, just, you know, if you are interested in hearing more about what Mac has to say about a topic, you can always send us uh, an email at po- uh, uh, tabletopped at gmail.com or at tabletopped on Twitter. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for coming. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Mac will be back, I'm sure. We can talk for hours and hours about this stuff. If you want to talk to us about what you want to see in a future episode, please send us an email at tabletoppodcast at gmail.com or you can always send us a DM at our Twitter handle at Tabletopped. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you have time, rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours. And we will see you next week for a bonus episode of Tabletopped. See you later.